You're listening to the Pastor Standing Firm Podcast. I am Brian Bauer, and with me as always, well, or as mostly, Jeremiah Stingle. Hey, it is so good to be here, and I'm pumped about our conversation today. It is going to be life-transforming. I love it. It's. It, I'm really excited about today's episode because who we have with us is not just a friend, but a mentor, I would argue, an apostle in the faith, and an awesome man of God, Pastor Gary Grogan, is with us today. And I'm going to, we'll explain who he is, but this episode we are talking about the leadership lie, what we have done in the church, especially in the last 20 years, and where we are now, especially in the last five or so years of what we think about the whole concept of leadership and how it's really co-opted our ideal of what biblical stewardship of being pastors and leaders should actually be versus what what it's become. And so a lot of people think, well, hey, the mandates are lifting, the 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 we're able to gather again a lot of places, so shouldn't your podcast be done? <laughs> shouldn't we? Yeah, st- <laughs> right? <laughs> but no, no, actually I think I think the church has a few more challenges than just COVID. So <laughs> Uh, so with that in mind, I want to introduce uh, Pastor Gary Grogan. He sits on the board at North Central University, pastored a church, Stone Creek Church in Champaign-Urbana for 30 years. Is that right? And, yep. And, uh, and he speaks all over the world, mentors, pastors, and leaders, was at one point the district youth director for the Illinois District of the Assemblies of God, and is with us today, and this is a, a passion topic of his. So please introduce yourself, Pastor Gary. What's your background? Who are you married to? What are your grandkids like? And, uh, and, and all that good stuff. Hey, Pastors Brian and Jeremiah, so good to be with you guys on this podcast. We are grateful for people tuning in literally all over the United States and around the world, New Zealand, Australia, other places. So we hope this will be interesting to you as we talk about the leadership lie. Uh, I was raised in rural America, what we call the Midwestern part of America, those who are listening overseas, in West Central Illinois. And when the Lord called me into the ministry, I was shocked. Mm. (laughs) Uh, To me, preachers were way up here, and I was way down here. Uh, I led my first soul to Christ when I was 15, and that's just what I wanted to do in life. It didn't matter to me. If I went on to become a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, a farmer, whatever, um, I just wanted to win people to Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of his. But God had given me the leadership gift when I was a freshman in high school. My hometown pastor said, Gary, you have the leadership gift. And I said, what's that? (laughs) I didn't even know what it was. So I went to a Bible college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the north central part of the United States. And then I became a youth pastor in the central part of Illinois, the Peoria area, and then a state youth and college ministry leader, did outreach in Chicago and actually about a dozen major cities in the United States with David Wilkerson. Some of you will recognize that name, a tremendous evangelist, author, pastor of Times Square Church. He's with the Lord now in heaven. 
Uh, God really used him in my life. And then I took what we call in the church world a burnt over field in Urbana, Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, the University of Illinois, um, fifth or sixth top engineering school in the entire world, uh, number one, two, or three uh, Chinese students coming to the University of Illinois. It's a long story that goes all the way back to 1905. And God sent us here to revitalize the work. Some of my friends thought I was having a midlife crisis because I had been in youth ministry for 15 years and traveled all over doing camps and conventions and leadership trainings and writing for various periodicals, all that kind of stuff. But when the Lord speaks to you, you know that you know that you know. He yeah. makes it clear. <clears throat> he gives you confirmation. So uh, the Saturday morning, my wife and I were sitting at the table to come over to Urbana, Illinois, to candidate. We had already been through all the interview processes. A church of a thousand called me. This was way back in 1988. There weren't that many churches of a thousand. And I'd preached there many times, and they said, hey, our pastor's resigning, and we want you to come, name your price. You can hire, fire the staff, hire a new staff. <laughs> and my wife goes, it's Jesus rescuing us. <laughs> I, and I said, well, thank you for calling me. I'm very flattered, but I know that the Lord is sending me to a leadership community because that's always been my primary gifting, not just mentoring and coaching, but spiritual fathering. I get emotional when I talk about it. I consider both of you, pastors Jeremiah and Brian, sons in the faith. I love your passion for the Lord. I love your testimonies. I love your conviction of the word of God, your faithfulness to your wives. I have no worries about you guys getting into some weird theology. We all have flaws, but I know that you will still clear from fatal flaws. And I just praise God for you. You are not afraid of the spirit baptism. Uh, you are not uh, uh, you, you do not have a pneumatology phobia. Uh, you realize that cleverness and looks and money and all of that and and good coffee in the lobby, which I'm not against. Um, drinking some Nespresso right now. None of that will change the human heart. That's right. It takes the presence and the power of God combined with the plain teaching and preaching of the truth of the word of God to transform the human heart. Amen. There's a lot of people in the church today, including the Pentecostal charismatic church. They're not really born again. They're not really walking with the Lord. I'm Come not on, judging. Say but, it. Say it. Well, I am, I am judging because Jesus important. said we judge by the fruit. Yes. So anyhow, the Lord raised up the work here uh, in our tribe, the AG tribe. It became the third largest AG church in the state. One time I had a staff of 32. And uh, five years ago, I turned it over to another one of my sons in the faith. And uh, I have influence with no organizational responsibility. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you that you, you really do love me. <laughs> um, I need to slow down a little bit. There's some things that the Lord has put on my heart in regards to fatherlessness, putting together some meetings to help people and also uh, write some things down. Um, 
I'm giving the last third, third of my life to setting beside young women and men like you and encouraging you and speaking into your life and helping you in any way I can. That's my job to come alongside and give you a perspective. So many of the things that are happening today, people think are new. They are not. The thing that is new is the internet and instant access to events happening right in front of our eyes, riots, shootings, so on. Um, so that's kind of who I am. I married a wonderful Minnesota girl who's a nurse. She knew since she was a little bitty girl that God wanted her to be a nurse. She's a nurse at the University of Illinois. I have two wonderful adult children, two wonderful children-in-law who are all in ministry. Um, and I have five wonderful grandchildren and you do not want me to get started talking about my grandchildren. <laughs> it will take, it will take up the whole podcast. <laughs> so that's me. That's me in a nutshell. And I'm just grateful. Oh, thank you. We're so grateful to have you. The first question I have is, would you just unpack the whole concept of the leadership lie? We've talked in past podcasts we're both fans and read probably the majority of the works of John Maxwell. We've gone to the conferences and numerous others, Catalyst, and, and so many. We're fans of leadership. We love it. We're grateful to have grown up in a time with such a strong emphasis on it. And yet we would argue in the last five, seven years, it seems like it has co-opted the idea of the biblical mandate of what leadership looks like. What, it, what yeah. would you call that? What is it? How do we address well, it? We've become leadership centric in the Western world. And uh, we all love John Maxwell, man of God. Um, his early writings and his early cassette tapes are perhaps young listeners that don't even know what a cassette tape is literally changed our lives. I used to teach his material on Wednesday nights. It was wonderful, wonderful. And uh, as his ministry grew, you know, you sign your rights over to publishers and stuff like that. And one of the often misquoted quotes of John Maxwell is, well, you know, John Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. For one of my seminary papers in a doctoral program, I did a deep dive of research. And actually what he said was everything rises and falls on leadership integrity. And I mm -hmm. thought, is this really true? Or is somebody deep dive, you know, what do you call that false news when you research something and it's not right? I don't know what you call Fact it. Fact checkers. But yeah, there you go. Media. So I called it. Yeah. I called a guy who's personal friends with John Maxwell. And I said, here's what I found in my research. I want to quote this in my seminary paper, but I need to find out if it's really the truth. And he got back to me about a week or so later. And he said, absolutely. I talked to him. He signed the rights of that book over to a publishing company that made it more readable for a larger audience, not just the Christian audience. And, you know, we know pastors, even in the back door of Chicagoland, where you guys are, who uh, their major emphasis was leadership, huge leadership conferences, literally worldwide. 
but there was a lack of integrity and that person I, I trust is walking with the Lord. I don't know if they are, uh, but just a, a, another, another one bites the dust. Another mm -hmm. high level Christian leader had lack of integrity in an area of life that caused them to fall from grace. Right. So to diminish leadership would be foolish because it is a gift of the spirit. Paul said so in Romans 28, uh, 12.8, let him who leads lead with all diligence. So if there's anyone listening to this and you're beginning to grow in your understanding that God has given you the gift of leadership, what is primarily required of you is due diligence. But here's the kicker. That due diligence is not just about becoming um, a better communicator, a better organizer, a better administrator, a better motivator. That due diligence is about becoming really surrendered and devoted to Jesus. It mm -hmm. sounds so simple. The answer to the dysfunction of our leadership centric culture is followership. Followership. And we don't really have time on this podcast to completely unpack that. I have whole workshops on this, but to some people, that sounds metal, melodramatic. It's like, you mean as a Christian with this leadership gift, I'm called to a life of mediocrity and insignificance and <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but the secret is staying in the shadow of the cross, following Jesus. What is the first call of Jesus? Repent. Yeah, repent. Even before that. Come follow me. That's it. Matthew 4.19. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But let's not get stuck on the fishers of men part, the witnessing, the soul winning, the evangelism. That's where people trip up on those words of Jesus. Come follow me and I will make you. If I come up short, guys, in my relationship with my wife, you know what I'm really coming up short in? My relationship with Jesus. Mm. If I come up short in my relationship with my kids, my kids-in-law, my grandkids, those in authority over me, those who follow me, my colleagues alongside of me, and I'm constantly falling out of relationship, what I'm really doing is coming up short in my relationship with Jesus. Mm. I'm not as close to him as I think I am. Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's really good. So, you know, understanding followership, it's actually big in the business world. I mean, uh, there's all kind of articles written in Harvard Business Reviews about how uh, being a good follower is more important than having an MBA. Mm. It's just, it's sad to me that the world gets this stuff before the church gets it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> now for us, part of followership is listening to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Part of followership is self-surrender. Yeah. You, you know, when I was your age, all of the conferences were about prayer, soul winning, fasting, surrender, consecration. 
giving up, living in the shadow of the cross. Listen to Billy Graham's sermons, man. He preached the crucified life, even to stadium full of people who didn't know Jesus. He said, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything you have. Hmm. And we just don't hear that message anymore, that followership message. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't want to, let me say this, and then Pastor Jeremiah, uh, you can jump in here. <laughs> this is the, the longest I've ever heard you not say anything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we have become drunken and intoxicated with leadership and leadership books. Mm hmm Again, when I, I am so grateful that I cut my teeth in the ministry, in the Jesus movement, and in the charismatic renewal. And perhaps not everybody listening to this knows what those two movements were, but the charismatic renewal was worldwide. The, the Jesus movement was pretty much North America. Young adults by the hundreds of thousands. This is how Calvary Chapel Chuck Smith got started. Uh, Time or Life magazine. I think it was Life magazine. It was a great big, huge magazine. It was like 1968. They baptized like 10,000 young adults in the Pacific Ocean. Wouldn't that be fun? Wow. <laughs> it was like, I don't know, over a three-day period type of deal. So, of course, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the social upheaval that took place uh, because of what was called the hippies and all the psychedelic drugs and, uh, you know, Woodstock, which is a description, a sociological description of what happened in the Western world among young adults, disillusionment from the Vietnam War, financial crisis in the Western world. So that's why I actually have hope right now that God's going to move among a remnant of people like he did in the uh, late sixties and early seventies. If, if we will get it right, yeah. we got to get it. We got to get it right. It's not all about leadership. Yeah. I would say leadership integrity. Yes. But it's about followership. That's so good. So if, if you're a lead pastor in 2022, what is success? Like, What's hitting the target? Like, what am I aiming for? Like, has, has it moved? Has it always been the same? And maybe we've been off? Like, like what does it look like? Like, where, where, am I, where am I driving towards? I think for a lot of people, not just in the ministry, but around the world right now, because of the significant seismic changes, it, it feels like well, maybe w what I was trying to accomplish in the past, what I viewed as success, really really is, is something else. And, and now this, this period of change in the world has revealed that I was off. I, I think for a lot of pastors, me included, this time has just revealed I wasn't prioritizing the right things. Mm. Wow. Thank you for your honesty, transparency, and I praise God that he has given you the spirit of Issachar. You know the tribe of Issachar, the smallest tribe of Israel after a certain period of time. And they are known, the scripture says, because they understood their times. Mm -hmm. Here's what I say the spirit of Issachar is. It is seeing sooner, quicker, farther 
with more biblical perception than most. That's good. And I hope that this COVID pandemic has caused the church world to set up and take notice in regards to measuring biblical outcomes. Yeah. Do you know what the attendance was of the Ephesian church? I don't. I don't. It's not listed anywhere, not in antiquity, not in biblical literature. Right. But if it's less than 5,000, God's not in it, right? Because I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You're being sarcastic. Are you German or what? <laughs> I'm a mutt. I'm a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, but what was the most spiritual church probably, at least in Paul's ministry in the New Covenant? It, it was the Ephesus. Of course, I would argue also for Antioch. Yeah, Antioch. I mean, they had it going on. They had the first missions program. I mean, they were they were sending missionaries, man. Yeah, they really embraced uh, the whole truth of proper biblical diversity and leadership. And uh, the Philadelphia church was a good church too. But, you know, if it's any comfort, do any of the Apostle Paul's churches still exist? <laughs> mm -hmm. Nope, they don't. He started them. They existed for a period of time. But they're no now some would argue with me that the Antioch church still exists. In fact, I knew a man who pastored in Antioch, the oldest church building to be in current use is still in Antioch. And he pastored that church for four years. It's quite a story. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, um, we measure success by attendance, by buildings, by budget, uh, numbers and i know people always say numbers are important there's a book in the bible named numbers well yes numbers are important they but uh, again we have made those things more than i think what god intended them to be to answer your question pastor jeremiah uh you know what should we be measuring there's a lot of things i could say in fact there's a whole organization uh, called Common Good Discipleship Dynamics. They're trying to help pastors uh, look at different measuring sticks for success. Here's what I would say. Success in ministry is your own personal relationship with Jesus, your wife, and your family. The relationships in your church, and I'll come back to that. And your church having a manifest presence sense about it. I'm in a different church every weekend if I want to be. Um, the nice thing about this stage of life, if I want to cancel and reschedule, I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I just don't hustle. I don't invite myself. I just, I just don't. Um, so the Pentecostal church, which that's the tribe we are a part of. We are not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We do not have Holy Spirit phobia. Uh, so <clears throat> the thing that was different about our church churches was the presence of God. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah, I know some of your testimony, and I'm not throwing my evangelical brothers under the bus at all. I love them. They're my brothers and sisters. I believe in unity like the 
shirt that you, I did the pastor's prayer meeting here for 10 years and we had more non-Pentecostals in the pastor's prayer meeting than Pentecostals and Charismatics. We had 80 to 120 a month for about nine months out of the year for 10 years. It was amazing. It was a result of the promise keepers. And, you know, this is Midtown America. This is not a great big area. This is about, I don't know, 130, 40,000 people total here in Champaign-Urbana area. Uh, but our churches were known when you walked in, you sensed God's presence. It wasn't just a place that God visited. And I know the theology of this, but there was a sensing that God was abiding there. And it was because our churches were doing the basics well. Now our church staffs spend a minimum of 80 to 85 to 90 percent of their time creating services well, that slide wasn't very good. That video wasn't very good. That wasn't cool enough. Well, I'm not against slides, videos, being cool, being relevant. I'm not against any of that. It's just that we've made idols out of it. God's not against gold. He put gold on the earth, but Nebuchadnezzar made a big statue out of it. Mm. And that's what we do. We, we take it out of its context, out of its proper place. Uh, you know, why is Easter so much fun? Well, first of all, the resurrection, man, when you preach on the resurrection, you feel the Lord's pleasure. You literally sense his pleasure when you preach on the resurrection. Secondly, the reason Easter is so much fun for pastors is because we have a big bump in attendance. <laughs> and man, we preach good. It's we don't the pastels have pastels for me. I mean, that's what it does. It's the pastels, but. Okay. The other thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the most painful moments of my ministry life was not having a in-person service no on doubt. Easter of 2020. I was grieving that, and I should have they listened should. to the Holy Spirit a little bit more closely. I, I just, they, I was they so shut us down. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, and I. I got to say, I was ticked because <laughs> I, I was, I was three weeks in and trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then it was like, I guess this is going to go on longer. Cause at one point president Trump was like, well, we might be open by then. And then no, we won't be. I was just ticked. And, and then, you know, those are moments where, and none of, I, we were in a school. It's not like I could say we're going to meet, but um, those, those are the moments. Those were illuminating moments for you and I, yeah. right? You're talking about this, Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary, what was the moments or moments that illuminated you to say, we've gone too far. This is out of context. The leadership is a gift, a blessing, and a powerful tool of the kingdom, but it's it's become a it's become the golden cow. Well, as I was traveling about, you know, you young guys gave me the nickname Papa G. I never gave myself that nickname. You gave me that nickname. And I love it, to be frank with you. Uh, not everybody's comfortable calling us by our nicknames. But, you know, my colleagues don't necessarily call me that. Certainly people older than me don't call me that. But as I was traveling around, you guys would ask me, well, Papa G., what is a healthy church? All of our denominational leaders are telling us we want healthy pastors. We want healthy churches. Well, what model is that? Is it the relevant model? Is it the seeker sensitive model? Is it the hyper charismatic model? Is it the retro Pentecostal model? Is it the health, wealth, and prosperity model? What is a healthy church, Papa G? 
And I was in a time of prayer and fasting, and I really believe the Lord spoke to me. And what he showed me was this, a healthy church is a place, this is so simple. It's a place where the truth is proclaimed. Jesus saves, Jesus fills with the spirit, Jesus heals, and Jesus is coming back. We preach the Bible. We don't get up and give talks. We preach the Bible. Amen. We preach and teach through the foolishness of preaching men will be saved. All of these professional coaches that are coaching our young pastors, they literally tell them, talk, don't get excited, don't preach. People don't like that. That's a lie from the pit. Our church was full of PhDs, lawyers, physicians, department heads at the University of Illinois, a chancellor, and we were Pentecostal in the truest sense of the word. We were led by the Spirit. We were not afraid of the Spirit. We allowed the gifts of the Spirit, but we weren't charismatic, crazy, or Pentecostal retro. So what is a healthy church? A place where the truth is proclaimed, needs are met. And this is what discipleship dynamics and common good is all about meeting the needs of your community, figuring if our churches were gone, would our communities miss us? Yeah. Ooh, man, that's a pressure point. And then also a place where relationships are built. Mm. That's why this COVID thing, this pandemic was so devilish. It wasn't just a natural thing. It was devilish because it took away the ability to develop relational equity salvation, discipleship, everything happens within the context of relationships, of family. Now, I know you can get saved on your own. You can read your Bible on your own, but you're just going to be, and I, I don't mean to throw any monks under the bus that may be listening to this, but even they have to have community. You take a vow of silence and, a and eventually it has to end. I, I read a, a book by uh, St. Clycamus, uh, he was a monk over in Egypt, and 33 steps on how to get closer to Jesus. Some of it was really interesting. <laughs> um, that wasn't his name, St. what? It was, was it St. Clycamus? Clycamus, I think, is Latin for climb, how to climb closer to the Lord. But anyhow, so to me, that's a healthy church. Um. We used to have classes in the Pentecostal church, new converts classes, classes for spirit baptism, classes for healing, classes for prayer, classes for witnessing. We don't have any classes anymore because we're so hung up on numbers. Young pastors say to me, well, I don't have evangelists anymore because nobody will come at night. If they sense the manifest presence of God Sunday morning, they will come back Sunday night. Will it be as many? No. But we don't measure today what we used to measure a meeting by. Okay, where was the Holy Spirit poured out initially? The upper room. Acts, Acts chapter 2. Was it a big service? How many were there? 120. Where was the Holy Spirit poured out among the Gentiles? Whose household? Cornelius. There were only 11 to 13 there. That's it. 
Was it a good meeting? Yes. Was the upper room a good meeting? That's what I want is a good meeting. And when people come in and they sense God's presence and they surrender and they confess sins and they repent, like you talked about, Jeremiah, I could care less about the numbers. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting next to a pastor in a service and they'll lean over to me and say, man, a lot of people are gone today because of the ice and the snow. <laughs> okay. I pastored the same church for 29 and a half years. It always made me mad. I'm like, Lord, why do you let it snow on Saturday? Saturday night, man. Monday. It's a fallen world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it made and those who don't know what snow and ice is, you're you're maybe that down there in New Zealand, which I've been there. It's a wonderful, wonderful place in Australia. I've been there, I think, eight times. And around the South Pacific, you don't know what snow and ice is. Let me just tell you, I tell our Africans, I oversee 11 French speaking churches, mainly from Congo, from Francophone Africa. And I always tell them, Hey, now that you've moved to the Midwest, you've changed your theology. Hell's not going to be hot. It's going to be cold. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope nobody takes me serious on that. So I don't know if I fully answered your question, but that's a huge I could write a 20-page paper on that question. Well, I led a small group last night here, and it probably had 16 people in it, and telling you the power of God was there. We were sending demons running with the truth that we were speaking, so I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> Success is God showing up and doing what That's he it. does. That's right. It's clear. You, you said something you know, just a few minutes ago, and you said that, you know, the, the people were, was, was, was the investment in the people. So leadership is, is taking people from one place to the place where God is wanting to take us. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, what are some ways that you're investing in people and creating not just a place where there's a lot of followers of Jesus, but followers of Jesus who are making more followers of Jesus? Like, how do you, how do you really impart that into a culture to where it takes root. Yeah, we got a little sidetracked in our small group ministry in the Western world. And we, we decided uh, through, they called it the free market system, that anything you do with a small group of people is a cell group, so on and so forth. Dog training, so, fly fishing, and other ways to do small groups, right? Yeah. Okay, honey, I'm going uh, on my small group and they're going all day playing golf and they never even talked about Jesus. You know, it, it was just golf and I'm not against golf. I used to be a par golfer. I used to play in tournaments, but um, so every small group, if it's really truly a small group, there has to be an element of prayer an element of worship an element of Bible study. Uh, an element of personal ministry and an element of outreach or evangelism. Otherwise it's just a club. Um, so for me, for the pastors that are listening to this, when I came here in this burnt over field, a dysfunctional church, less than 50 people, probably about 35 regulars. I didn't take salary for seven months. They gave us a house, paid the power and water bill for us to live here. And 
I used up all my savings. I charged up all my credit cards. I'm not saying it's right. I just knew God had called me. And yes, he turned it around. I made my priority to reach men. Not that I'm being a sexist. Everybody is important. But if you can reach a man, you can reach the whole family. Yep. So I would get up early in the mornings. And, you know, there, there would be men that needed to be discipled. I knew they weren't reading their Bible. They weren't seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they weren't growing. They weren't following Jesus the way they should. So I'd say, what time do you go to work in the morning? They'd say, oh, about seven o'clock. Well, how about if you and I meet at uh, 5.30, quarter to six? And sometimes we'd meet at the church. Sometimes we'd meet at breakfast. I did that for decades. And I would just take them through simple books, Called and Committed by David Watson. It's all about following Jesus. Now all the books are about leadership. <laughs> oh, they'll throw a little bit in there. Uh, you know, Andrew Murray books. You have to get the ones that are more up to date. Otherwise, reading that 1800 English is pretty tough. That's what I did. I just, I spent time with men. And then when I did do stuff with men, I wasn't afraid of the crucial conversations. Hey, how's things going at home? Hey, you know, we've been hanging out here for two months and, uh, you know, have you, have you embraced giving yet? If you're going to grow in the Lord, you've got to learn how to tithe and give to missions. And I just, I was never afraid of the crucial conversations. I, I think we have a lot of people, a lot of pastors are phlegmatics. You know what I mean by that? For those that are listening, uh, a phlegmatic is like a golden retriever, God's most perfect dog. They like everybody and everybody likes them. But was Jesus likable? Yes. Did people like Jesus? Yes. Did Jesus have a bad attitude? No. But did everybody like Jesus? No. Was it necessary for everybody to like Jesus for him to do the will of God? No. So we have a lot of pastors that fall apart emotionally. They don't have the emotional intelligence required to be whom God has called them to be. Yeah. They are the they are the the angel of that church. Mm. Brian, you're the fallen angel of <laughs> Thrive Church. <laughs> No, that, that's, you know, there's no debate to me, you know, in Revelation there, when Jesus is walking among the candlesticks and, and, and he, listen, the angel of the church is the pastor. Say that. Yeah, it, it, it's not, that's, that's the, the elders help the pastor lead, guide, teach, and direct, and the diakonos serve the vision of the pastor and the elders. And of course, the pastor is one of the elders. So again, that man, you ask uh, great questions, Pastor Jeremiah, because we could spend a whole podcast just on that. Presence of God, presence of God. That's what we want. In the Jesus movement, we would have Bible studies, these big old New American Standard Bibles, orange covers, dorky, orange covers. And then we'd say, okay, 
you're going to go over there. Jeremiah is one of our leaders. That's the salvation room. You need to give your life to Jesus. Go to that room. You've been coming long enough and you need to get the spirit baptism. You're going to go with Brian over there to that room. Those of you that need a touch from God, a healing, you need a prophetic word. You're going to stay in this room with me. And that's the way we did it in the Jesus movement. Wow. And people got saved. Yeah. Now, I, I'm rambling a bit. Let me just say this before you, one of you guys jump in. Young pastors always say to me, well, should our church grow? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. A, a healthy body grows, except when you get on the other side of the hill like me. <laughs> I'm in the last third, third of my life. I'm on the way out. You guys are still climbing the hill. <laughs> I just, I want to see another Pentecost in my day. I want to see a remnant of God's people on fire for him and becoming more and more like him and not more and more like the world. Uh, my question is right on that, right in line with that. How do we get young leaders, young pastors even guys like us, now we've had some revelatory moments in the last few years. That's why we're sitting here having this conversation. How do we get, how do we call on God and to see that happen in the hearts of leaders and pastors in the church that says, get your mind off of just leadership and just being cool and just trying to figure out the best new strategy and after the heart of the master, how do we see that happen? Well, pragmatically, we got to get them reading the right kind of books again. Uh, but also, our churches need to become house of prayers. I don't mean 24-hour houses of prayers like the place out in Kansas City and other places. Don't do that unless the Lord tells you you'll have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> but I, uh, to me, uh, a house of prayer is a place where the Lord abides. He doesn't just visit, but He abides. So every ministry... Prayer is a part of that ministry. Every ministry, children's ministries, men, women, worship, every ministry, prayer is a part uh, of that ministry. Our churches don't even have public prayer meetings anymore. I'm talking the Pentecostal church. Uh, you go down south, and Baptist churches have more public prayer meetings than Pentecostal churches down south. Pastor Jeremiah, I think you were from Georgia. Yep. And probably you've watched that phenomenon happen. I've seen Pentecostal churches don't have public prayer meetings anymore. Well, I'm not saying you got to swing from the chandeliers every time you have a prayer meeting, but God honors prayer meetings. So, man, I, I made my elders pray an hour before an elders meeting. I made my deacons pray a half hour before a deacons meeting. I made our staff pray a half hour before staff meeting. And if you were late, I would say, hey, normally staff gets done at two o'clock, but some of you never came in till 14 minutes after. So we're going to go 14 minutes late. So some of <laughs> you are going to have to rearrange your appointments afterwards. Well, man, that put on junior high peer pressure and those staff members that were chronically late, it taught them not to be late. <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't a mean leader, but I was a strong leader. So you know, read the right kind of things, make prayer the central focus, and then keep doing what you're doing, Pastor Brian. Uh, become a robot. Keep speaking the same revelation that God has given you. That's it. And then he has to do the rest. I Okay, people say, 
you know, some of these people online talk about a nationwide revival and a worldwide revival. Well, I don't want my words to stop anybody's faith and discourage anybody. But when I read the Old Testament, I, I just, I see remnant revival, remnant. There's always a remnant of God's people that are hungry. Mm. And uh, people talk about, well, you know, we need reformation more than we need revival. And I say we need it all. I want local churches to be revived. I'd love to see culture be revived. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. <laughs> Do you realize how much I've seen the American culture change in my lifetime? Wow. I mean, woohoo! what your kids and my grandkids are growing up in, I didn't even imagine it when I was their age. Didn't even come close. So I'm not sure I sufficiently answered your question, Brian. You guys ask good questions. So let me ask one more good one, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with this. Uh, recently, my wife and I have began to read the Bible out loud every day together. We've been married for 17 years. This has been unbelievable for, for our relationship with each other, our relationship with God, our walk publicly with our children and people in the church. I mean, it's just been so impactful. I was like, I'm telling everybody, I'm like, read the Bible out loud every day with your spouse. Like it's amazing getting God's word in the place. I mean, it is just fantastic for me. That's kind of been my recent like upgrade. Have you had any moments in your life like that personally, where you're saying as a leader, I'm going to raise the level of my leadership integrity, and this is how I did it. Is there one just practical thing that you could speak to us that would just really help us to put this into practice in a real and a powerful way? Yeah, several practical things. One is exactly that, reading the Bible out loud. Uh, the other one is writing the Bible. Oh. Write out verses in a, in a journal out of whatever translation you want. I've done that hundreds of times. In fact, right now, I bought a new set of Bibles. They're, they're uh, you know, just soft cover. And every book of the Bible is its own book. Hmm. And on the it's the ESV translation, English Standard Version. On the left side is the text. And on the right side is a blank page. And so I read the text. And I just write out my thoughts. Sometimes I will look online at a commentary to see what they have to say. Man, I'm having a blast. I'm doing a revelation right now. Wow. Yep. Doing revelation right now. Just finished uh, uh, revelation seven, the 144,000, which I believe are Jewish evangelists that, uh, preach the truth of Jesus during the tribulation. And there are many Jewish people that come to faith and are martyred. So I wrote my thoughts out there. Um, when I was a young man, fasting was a big part of my life. I still try to fast on Wednesdays, breakfast and lunch. But when I was a young man, I fasted all the time, 21 days, 10 days, seven days, five days, three days, a lot. And I journaled that. I still memorize scripture. Um, 
some you guys have heard of the navigators a campus ministry group i got tied in with the navigators as a young man and scripture memory is a big part of that uh, uh ministry you know they 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 use the hand read the bible uh let's see study the bible memorize the bible i forget the other one and uh, meditate on the bible <laughs> uh, anyhow so uh, uh, you know, I don't want to be critical, but there's a lot of pastors, you know, they, they study for their sermon, but they don't read the Bible for themselves. And we've heard that mm -hmm. a thousand times. You know, I want to be a good follower of Jesus. Someday when my family's gathered around me, looking at me in that casket, I could care less if they say, boy, he was a good preacher. But I would like for my wife to be able to say he was a wonderful husband. I would love for my kids to say he was a great dad. I'd love for my in-law kids to say best father-in-law ever. And I'd love for my grandkids to say he was the best papa on the planet. That's what you do when you get to be my age. You start thinking those thoughts. And uh, I like good preaching. I, I've preached in 54 countries and, you know, I'm not against good preaching at all. I mean, if you can't preach, why would you want to be a preacher? <laughs> uh, and yet so, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, anyhow, Pastor Jeremiah, I'm proud of you that uh, you and your wife are doing Bianca, right? That's right. Yeah. You and Bianca are doing that. I, I love that. I, I love those kind of stories. You know, is the ministry hard? Yes. I just read an article in Christianity Today, 38% of the pastors surveyed are ready to quit. National election, COVID, racial tension, now the economic stress in the Western world. Um, but, you know, the ministry actually has been good for me. I've been a better person of prayer. I've been a better person of the word. And when you're a preacher, shouldn't you be more concerned about your behavior? <laughs> mm -hmm. Shouldn't you be held at a higher standard? I mean, approach. I'm not going to go out on the golf course, hit a bad uh, driver, and then say a swear word. I'm not going to do that. Somebody out there might hear me. <laughs> so you guys are getting it right. Um I, I, again, I think there's going to be a remnant, a remnant who are revived. I mean, I'm willing for it to be more than that. Um, the thing that scares me about some hungry Christians is that they're preaching a nationalistic gospel instead of uh, a true gospel. Mm -hmm. And I listened to one guy, in fact, Pastor Brian, you sent me the speech he gave, and I listened to the whole thing, and it just grieved me. You can ask my wife. I literally cried because I knew this guy when he was young and on fire, involved in college ministry. I actually had him come for a youth convention once, and he's up talking about American rights. And then he said, I've been accused of being political, but this is not political. This is about our freedom. Well. I've been in the underground church in China, man, the presence of God. I wept like a baby. I could hardly compose myself to talk. 
mm. as I heard their stories. Mm. So this, this guy that you had me listen to, he wasn't preaching the gospel of freedom. He was preaching the American gospel of freedom, mm -hmm. defining the subject with an adjective. No, we are Christians who happen to be Americans, not American Christians. Say that. Mm -hmm. My perspective of what God is doing is a little bigger than American culture. Yeah. That's good. Actually, actually a lot bigger. A lot Stone bigger. Creek. Yeah. Stone Creek, when I left, had about 60 nations of the earth represented every weekend. That's a lot of nations. That's no exaggeration. Mm. So I don't know if I covered all your points, good guys. I, I just want to come back to, I, I want to commend you for having enough, um, Issachar spirit in you to not get sucked into the uh, leadership idol. Uh, you know, the antidote for being leader centric is to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Jesus, I just want to do what you want me to do. Yeah. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say. We don't do that anymore. It's like, even our Bible college students say, I want to go to this size church, make this amount of money, live in this size of city. And I, I don't want to preach against sin because people won't like me. I don't want to preach the spirit baptism because people will leave. Mm. Ooh, Lord help us. Yeah. So good. Man, that was phenomenal. <laughs> Papa G, we have just been enriched. I mean, if you could just see what's happening on the inside of me, I'm just <laughs> swelling. I mean, first of all, you just bragged on us and built us up, and then you just poured in the truth, and I'm ready to go, ready to go. It was so good. I, I feel like Frodo sitting at the feet of Gandalf for an hour just <laughs> being poured into and wisdom hey, upon wisdom. You know, uh, love God and hate sin. That's the secret to the anointing. I love the poeticness of the King James in Hebrews 1, 8 or 9. I can never remember which verse. And it's talking about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews. And it says, uh, the Lord hath anointed him with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. Isn't that cool? Because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Mm. You can be the best communicator in the world. You can write books. You can have a nice building. You can have a lot of money. You can do church in the Western world without the anointing. You can. At least you'll think it's church. But if you're going to have the anointing, you can pray all day and still not have the anointing. The anointing comes because you love righteousness and you hate iniquity. That's it. Wow. I, I don't want to go the way of the world. Anytime I've sinned, I've said, Lord, give me a hatred for that. Yeah. You, you know, my dad had problems swearing and I have to be so careful when I get angry, not to say a bad word that I learned from my dad. Mm. And I'm like, Lord, I, I don't want to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Gary. That was so phenomenal. And I think you answered abundantly more than we could have asked, <laughs> you know, when it came to those questions and challenging the leadership lie. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on Pastors Standing Firm. I know that it's going to be a blessing to so many people. 
Uh, would you just say just a word of blessing over us as we conclude today? Lord, I thank you for pastors Jeremiah and Brian. I thank you for their wives, their children, the churches that you have established them in. Lord, help them to stay faithful. Help them to be fruitful, Lord. Lord, help them to live with a dissatisfied satisfaction. We always want more, Lord. You made us that way. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have given them the spirit of Issachar. Help them to have different measures of outcomes rather than just the typical success numbers. Let there be a presence of God in their midst. Let them be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, interrupt them. Interrupt them. Teach them, teach them to flow with you so that their people will understand that, Lord. I pray for all of our listeners. Give them a new desire to serve you, a new desire for spirit baptism to operate in the gifts, Lord. Lord, we love you so much. Help us to be devoted followers of yours. That's what we want to be. Uh, we don't want to bow down to this idol of leadership in the Western world, especially. Bless us, Lord. Bless this pro uh, podcast in your name, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Gary. That was awesome. Love you guys. Yeah, yeah. Love you. God bless you. And uh, pastors, remember, when you've done all you know to do to stand, stand.